Interested in real estate? How about wealth? Well, they go hand in hand. And here, you'll learn all about it. Welcome to Be The Bank, a podcast where we discuss and debate the topics centered around real estate investing. Your host, Justin Bogard, shares insights into investing in real estate to create real wealth and passive income for you and your family. He'll share stories of real estate investments done right, walk you through the process of owning a real estate note, and most importantly, educate you so you can be the bank. This is Be The Bank, brought to you by Bright Path Notes. Now, here's your host, Justin Bogard. Hello, it is episode number 22. I'm your host, Justin Bogard, on the Be The Bank podcast, sponsored by Bright Path Notes. Today, we're going to be talking about what most investors want to get into real estate notes and kind of the path that they should follow or what they think they should go down and what really reality is. So stay tuned. Hey, Richard, how's it going? Pretty good, Justin. Yourself? I am doing pretty well. It is uh, warm and cool on some days here in Indianapolis. Today mm-hmm. happens to be a cooler a cooler day. Excuse me, cool cooler day. Uh, so, what's the weather like out where you're at? Fall is a, is is upon us. It's uh, it's mild by your standards, but you know we've got nights that are in the uh, mid 40s now, and it's probably about 60 degrees outside right now, but sunny and pleasant. I decided to tough it out last night, Richard. It was um, when I went to bed, I think it was around 50 or 52. So not really that, that super cold outside. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to turn the heat on. I'm going to see what happens because it's going to get down to 34 or 33 in the morning. So I didn't have the girls with me and I was thinking, okay, you know, let's just see what happens. And I woke up in the morning and <laughs> what the thermostat said 40 degrees. I was going, mm. oh, that's brisk, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully you were, uh, you were t- tucked in uh, tightly there. I'm going to, I uh, did. I put on three blankets last night. I just wanted to see what it was like to, you know, see, see, you know, what the temperature was going to be like in the morning. So I, mm-hmm. I toughed it out and, and did it. I don't think I'll do that again, but uh, now you know, that's right. <laughs> yeah, now it's kind of like hitting your thumb with a hammer. You, you've done it oh, once. God. I know what it's like, and you know, you just don't need to do it again. Yeah. At that temperature, if I would have hit my thumb with a hammer, it probably would have splattered all over mm-hmm. the place. Mm-hmm. So, why is it every time we always just bring up the weather? Like our opening remarks are just about the weather. Is that just, that's just a common thing to go to? You know, small minds think alike. Small minds think alike. That's Speaking right. of small minds, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. So, Richard, I just went to Coeur d'Alene over mm-hmm. the weekend to right. a real estate summit that our friends Larry and Marishka put on out there in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And it was pretty nice. I got mm-hmm. to travel out there. It's the first time I've ever been to Coeur d'Alene. It's a nice area. So it was a very nice area, except the first day I got there, it was very cloudy, gloomy, and rainy so mm. and cold. So I really didn't get to see a whole lot of the beautifulness, if, that's, if you can say that. Mm-hmm. But before I left on Sunday, it was... It was cool in the morning, but it was it wasn't as overcast. It was partly cloudy, so I got to see uh, a little bit of Coeur d'Alene. It is it is amazing. So those of you that have been there probably know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been there, it is a very beautiful place in Idaho. Yeah, cute little downtown. Uh, yes, uh, brick buildings and things like that. And there's yeah. a yeah. there's a diner that Larry took me to, and it was on one of those uh, HGTV shows for like the 
uh, I don't even know what it's called, Dines and Diners or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But one of those. Guy Farrell or whatever he says. Yeah, yeah, Guy Fieri. Yeah, yeah, I think he was the one that that went there, and it was it was on it was an episode on one of the shows, so that was kind of cool. So yeah. good, but so I went to this real estate conference, and I was lucky enough I got to speak at this one, and, and I talked about how to create highly marketable seller finance notes. There was another person there that talked about some seller finance notes, and there was an attorney there, uh, Jeff Watson, and there was also uh, a lot of uh, multifamily investor. Uh, speakers there and some other other speakers just in general real estate because it's the first time they had kind of a real estate event in this area for a very long time. I don't know if they said exactly when the last time it was, but it was a very long time. So people from Seattle, from Spokane, from Coeur d'Alene, north of Coeur d'Alene, a little bit south of Coeur d'Alene, uh, people from Arizona kind of visited as well. It was a nice event, but what I took from it was that a lot of people like the idea of seller financing, mm-hmm. um, and they're starting to understand conceptually that that is an idea that they could sell their investment property on seller financing and get terms and be the bank on it. Mm-hmm. And it's all fine and great. And some people are just actually interested in just buying notes as well. And so one of the things that I think you and I kind of talk about as a side conversation, never really bring it to uh, a public opinion or public eye is a lot of people are kind of confused as to what they should really do first. And of course, there's really no wrong answer. It's your money. You do what you want. But if I were in their shoes and I had to start all over again, I kind of I kind of tell them like, oh, okay, in my experience, this is what I would have done first because it kind of would have eased me in the door or I wouldn't have been thrown into the fire so quickly. So I would, I would know right. what to do. Right. So Richard, I, I had these conversations with people and they understand that they could buy these performing loans and these non-performing loans. And kind of the first thing I say, well, hey, you know, what's your experience in real estate? And most of them either say, yeah, I've flipped a couple of houses or I have a couple of rentals or, you know, I'm a realtor. So I understand certain sides, you know, of real estate business. And then so after I kind of interview them and, and get a history of what they've been through, I kind of be like, okay, I think you can handle this part of it. And, and what I mean by this part of it, Richard, is that we have what's called a hypothecation. Mm-hmm. We have what's called a partial. Mm-hmm. And then we have what's called a full purchase. A whole note. Mm-hmm. And so I have these three buckets, if you will, that people can kind of fall into. And depending on how that interview goes, I kind of know what bucket they should really be in. And of course, they're obviously they're they're able to fall or go within whatever bucket they want, but it's it's in their highest and best interest to to ease into this type of investing. Um, there is the exception, Richard, where I find some of these fix and flippers that have done probably you know 25, 30 or so deals. I don't mind them jumping in. Uh, feet first into a, you know, buying a full loan and being able to comprehend and understand that. I definitely don't mind that at all. But sometimes these folks get into real estate from a different type of real estate. And Richard, would you agree with me? It's a little bit different. Yeah, it's, it's different. There are different pitfalls. Uh, Even though uh, owning a note, even if you own the whole note can be quite a bit easier than being a landlord. Yeah. Uh, I just, I have to smile sometimes because I've got one particular investor who's, uh, illustrative of this and that he wanted the higher yields. So he wanted to buy a whole note and, and he did that and he was cruising along just fine. And then he found out that he had to pay some taxes and he had to do this and do that. And he kept came, coming back to me and basically crying to me and saying, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to have to do this. And I don't want to have to do that. And I said, you bought the whole note. You accepted all that responsibility. I told you about that up front. Mm-hmm. You, um, 
know, you need to know that. So if you're not willing to or, or don't know how to do all of those things up front, I think the the slogan um, partial or hypothesis or sorry, hypothecation is a little bit better <laughs> way to start. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> people get a little bit gung ho. They they want to go after it. They see you know some sweeter returns that they could make by owning the full note, but sometimes that comes at a cost, and that cost can be time and education. And unfortunately, sometimes you got to learn the hard way. I jumped into things a little too quickly. Um, I did buy a non-performing and a performing loan when I first got into the business. Uh, not that I couldn't handle it, but I think I learned a lot of lessons to where if I would have just started off on a performing loan and kind of eased my way into it and understood just the process of walking through it. It's one thing to read a book, Richard, right, and get the um, the hypothetical of how something works. It's another thing to do something when you're actually executing it and doing it as well. Yeah, I mean, you can look at some of the basics. What, you know, what's the difference between a deed of trust and a trust deed and a contract for deed and a land contract? I mean, those all have very different ramifications in terms of the type of ownership. And you need to know about those before you buy one um, or several. Right. So, Richard, there's also another option that we didn't talk about, but there is a fund option as well. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people are educating themselves at the same time they would like to make money. And so right. it's a way for them to make money and be the bank and also invest into a fund. And that could be just a traditional real estate fund, what they call a REIT. It could be a specific debt fund, like a note investing fund mm -hmm. or, or what have you. That's right. It can be um, any type of, I mean, obviously we're setting up a fund right now that's going to be performing and non-performing notes. Um, one of the nice things about investing as a fund is if you don't have a whole lot of money, if you have just say twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars, it's a good way for you to get in and sort of maximize your yield uh, on that. Um, as you well know, one of the problems with investing in a smaller note is that by the time you pay the servicing fees and all that, um, a lot of your yield can be eaten up. Yeah, and Very so true. if you invest in a fund, you avoid all that. Right. And then the time horizon is a lot shorter with a fund as well. Because right. you you're not in, you can jump out. You're not in it for 20 some years if you if you don't want to be. If you're just like, okay, I need a couple of years to build up my retirement account a little bit more. So I'm just gonna put this money in there. I'm gonna grow it at a rate. I'm gonna get some education. I'm gonna start adding more contributions to my retirement. And then when that you know 24 month time horizon comes around, hey, guess what? I can take that money out and I could go do something else with it. Right. Right. And you, if you buy, especially if you buy a partial, um, you might be able to do that with a hypothecation, but certainly not with a whole exactly. note. You don't have, you don't have that liquidity. So that's good. Let's talk about that for a minute. So we got the fund and some funds are, are, you know, pretty quick. Let's say within 12 months, they can put their money in and out. Some funds are a little bit longer, two, three, four, five years. Mm -hmm. um, and so the hypothecation is, well, you brought that up. So what's, I'll try to my best to quickly define a hypothecation. It's, it sounds complicated when you talk about it, but when you see it visually on the screen in front of you, kind of how it works, it makes it makes more sense. If you imagine, Richard, and listening audience here, if you had a rental mm -hmm. and you had a mortgage on that rental, a hypothecation really is no different than that, except your rental is really another note. So what I mean, Richard, is that um, I have this uh, house that I, I'm sorry, I have this note on this property 
and then I want to borrow money from you, Richard. And right. I say, Richard, if I can borrow X amount of dollars from you, I'm going to pledge to you this note that I have. So it's like getting an, a loan against your loan, if you will. And this hypothecation is great because you can make terms to favor your investor, meaning you, Richard, in this case, to where it can only be a couple of years. Maybe it's four years and maybe it's a certain percentage rate. Maybe it's an amateurized loan that has a balloon payment at the end. So it's really great. It's really low risk for that investor. And they're not involved in the day-to-day -day operations because I'm Richard's borrower in this scenario. And Richard doesn't have to worry about anything else. He doesn't really have to know anything else. He's just lending money. He said, in a sense, he's just a, just a lender. He's not especially right. lender. So I'm, I'm lending you uh, the money for you to buy um, all or a portion of that note, and you're paying me back for that, and I get the house as collateral, right? Ultimately, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that house is you're going to be your collateral. So if I default on you, yeah, you take over what I owned, which is that note. So that note could be something that I already have in my portfolio, or it mm -hmm. could be something that I'm going to get into my portfolio. So it can be in both ways. Right. So that's, that's, the, the advantage to me is that I get to learn a little bit about it. I get a nice yield um, and it is a more liquid investment. And it's low risk. It's one of the lowest risk investments out there because it's it's a one-to-one right. -one investment, right? In a right. fund, you're investing in an entity that happens to invest in a lot of different assets. Right. In a so hypothecation, said, it's, it's a one-to-one, -one, right, Richard? You got one investment and you got one lender. Right. And it's not that... We don't sell shorter term partials, but it's more difficult to sell a shorter term partial. Right. Um, and partials are less uh, liquid. Uh, tell us how a partial works. All right. So a partial, we're gonna we're going to invest in a certain entitlement of that amortization schedule. So if a loan had twenty years left on it, which would be two hundred forty months, let's say Richard, I bought the next 120 months of that loan from you in a mm. loan that you have in your portfolio. Right. And so you sell it to me for a price and I buy it. And those next 120 payments that come in are payments that come to me. And right. I take full ownership of that loan in that entitlement schedule. And mm -hmm. then Richard gets the back 10 years on it. So it switches over to him after the 10 year and one month payment. Right. And so one of the advantages of doing a partial, well, disadvantages it's not, you can sell a partial, but it's not quite as liquid as a hypothecation. But one of the advantages is, is uh, you as a sponsor stay quite involved because you're really not getting paid up front for anything. You might get paid a couple thousand dollars just to do the transaction, but your payday is after me, um, the investor, after I've fully been paid out and um, I'm, I'm scot-free at that point, right? You're talking about because you're the guy that owns the last 10 years of the note? No, I, right. So I'm, I've, I, if, if I've sold you a partial or an investor mm -hmm. a partial, I'm not getting much of anything up front. I'm just because I'm giving you all the cash flow. I'm right. taking a couple thousand dollars just to do the deal, just to cover my costs. But I'm going to stay very interested in that transaction and, and uh, certainly help shepherd it along. You, what I always tell right. clients is, is they get an asset manager for free. Yeah. So that, that's something that's good about it, right? So me as an investor that may not be as savvy as you, let's say in this hypothetical, to where I've got you 
partner in the deal with me. So I feel more secure that, hey, your money's in it and my money's in the deal together. I have lower risk because I'm first money in, first money out because I'm on the front end. But you got to take my money that I gave you to buy the portion of that loan and go out and reinvest it whenever you want. So you have a lot of advantages and I have a lot of advantages too. So we marriage the two together and it makes for a great um, partnership. Right. So there again, you know, um, you, the investor, are very secure. Mm -hmm. uh, not that things can't go wrong in these deals, but if I bought a $50,000 uh, note, uh, I'm probably only selling you, say, $25,000 uh, of that note for that first um, portion. So if I bought it at 60% loan to value and I'm selling you the first half of that, you're probably down at 30% loan to value yeah. in this house. So you yeah. are very, very secure in getting paid. Right. And if the worst thing that happens, if we have to go through foreclosure, guess what? I get paid first because I'm in the first entitlement and then you get paid last. So, right. so, right. it's, so it's really, really good for the front end investor. You're, you're very secure. You're very low risk. You're making a, a cash flow every month and you have true ownership of this partial. Right. So how does that contrast if I buy a whole note myself? If I sell you a whole note, how is that going to be different? Well, it's a little bit different because you own the entitle, the entire entitlement schedule. So instead of having 10 years, I own the full 20 years. Now it's a bigger investment for me because I have to pony up more money to buy it. Right. And then also I get paid uh, more as far as a return or a yield because I've got a little bit more risk because I own the entire note at the 60%, uh, you know, loan to value, as you said a minute ago versus my 30%, right? So the more risk you have, the more reward you have. So how do I manage that note day to day? So you would have to be responsible and accountable for being the note uh, manager of that loan. You have a loan servicer that collects your payment, right? And they have a portal typically with those loan servicers. So you can see the payments coming in. You can see the interactions, but you still kind of, you got to play CEO to a certain extent because you have to manage the managers of your, of your loans as well. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're checking in on it from time to time. And then when you find a problem with it, you have to deal with it, right? Mm. You don't, you don't have a Richard or a Justin to help run those day-to-day -day operations for you. So it isn't a lot of involvement, but it can be short bursts of involvement. And then you may have long periods of time to where there's no involvement. And so mm -hmm. it kind of ebbs and flows like that. Now, once you have a very large portfolio of loans, let's say 20 or 30 loans in your portfolio, and you own all the loans together, well, it you do have to have somebody to help you manage and run that because you want to stay on top of things. Because if three or four loans start getting behind or if there's taxes that are due that aren't being paid and other things that you're catching along the way, you know, it can, it can eat up some of your time as well. But right. there is on the other side of the hand, you do make more money because you're getting a higher return on having the full loan in your portfolio. So what do I do if, if I, uh, uh, well, a, how do I find out and B what do I do if I find out that my borrower, let's say hasn't renewed his insurance. There's no insurance in the house. What happens? So some servicers have tracking programs to where, where <coughs> excuse me, you can pay them a, a, a fee and they will have a service that tracks when the insurance is dropped. So the second that they know the expiration date happens on this, on this insurance policy and it doesn't get renewed, it automatically put 
a forced place insurance policy on that house to cover you in the event of a total loss. Whether forced it be fire. Place? Yeah. So the lender has the right to force an insurance policy on the property if it's not properly insured by the borrower. Who pays that for that? The lender advances the money up front and it's charged back to the borrower. So the borrower pays them back over time or in a lump sum. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's something that the the borrower will incur those costs. And how much do you get this insurance for? It really depends. Is it? Uh, it's really what the home is worth and what the unpaid balance is, is what the mm-hmm. insurance is going to go after. So if the unpaid balance is $100,000, then we're going to get the insurance to cover that unpaid balance as as the, the forced place lender here in this situation to where it could cost uh, four or $500 for the year, or it may cost $100 for the year, depending on how low it is. So it really so depends on what out. area. You have to watch out for for little gotchas like that is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, you got to watch out for it. So it's something you just want to be aware of. So it's just, like I said, you're just checking in on the loan. And so there's a little bit more accountability with having the full loan. So those are kind of the annoying things that can happen. Like I said, Richard, this isn't a big time suck. It's just when they do happen, it comes in small bursts and you have to be ready and active to stay on top of it and then know what to do as well. So if it's your first time investing in a note and you buy a note and you really haven't had any note training or you don't know somebody like Richard or myself that's done a lot of deals before, you may be at a loss as far as what you need to do. Because sometimes the servicers, you know, they don't have time to educate you on that process. They say, like, I need a decision from you. What what do you want to do here? And if you're not sure you know what to do, you might make the wrong decision. Right. So, you know, I, I coming out of the last recession, there was all these non-performing notes and people were making big bucks doing that. We've gone through the pandemic. My understanding is we're going to have uh, some more of those non-performing notes. How do I jump in to that? Should I jump into that? And uh, what do I have to watch out for? Well, that's an open-ended question that's, that's going to take a while to walk through. But let's just hit the highlights here. Okay, Richard? So if it's your first time getting into notes and you want to jump into a non-performing note, it's probably best that you probably shouldn't do it alone. You should probably do it with a partner, either somebody that uh, does the workout on it and you put up the money or you're splitting the money 50, 50 with them and kind of partnering with them on that. Or Richard, you kind of learn as you go and you can invest into a fund that does, excuse me, that does buy into these non-performing loans and does them in bulk. Hmm. And you can benefit from the cash flow that comes from them and the, and the resale of that product as well. But what if I did did want to get into a buy a non-performing note? What what would I have to? Not how would I do it? I assume I can go someplace and buy a note. But let's say now I have the note. Give me a quick thumbnail about what I what I might have to do. Well, there's things that you want to check from the get go. So the number one thing that can trump your position is property taxes. You mm-hmm. want to make sure that the property taxes have not gone into the sale, the tax sale. Some states are tax deed states and some states are tax lien states. And so in Indiana, we, uh, we, we, you can get a lien on the properties with taxes until so much they go into a tax deed sale. So you can look that information up. It's all public record. You can actually call the county office. You can find out exactly what's going on or when the next sale is. So you can get those paid to where it doesn't go to the tax sale and you lose the property. So that's number one. Then number two, you obviously want to make sure there's an insurance policy on the property because if a fire were to happen or or if it's in a floodplain, you want to make sure there's a flood insurance policy on it as well for a forced place flood policy. 
and you want to make sure that's covered. So those are the two things I would do first. <clears throat> and then I would try to reach out to the borrower and figure out if you can get uh, some sort of deal to work with them, meaning, you know, can they really repay this debt or they just, they're just SOL and they're just, you know, hoping that nobody forecloses on them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thumbnail. Okay. Um, but I've, do I have to get the house renovated? Do I have to get, I mean, well, technically you don't own the house right now. So you technically can't go in there and start working on the house. If you do, and the borrower ends up paying you off before you finish foreclosure. Well, guess what, Richard, you just gave them a free renovation. Mm -hmm. You don't get any of that money back. So you don't want to do anything to the house. Now, if it's vacant, you can secure it and you can winterize it and protect the investment that way. Mm -hmm. But you certainly don't want to put any real work into the property until you actually own it as a REO or what we call a bank owned or also known as a real estate, uh, real estate owned asset. Right. Right. Well, good. Well, it sounds like um, buying a non-performing note would be quite a challenge. If I'm just starting out, I probably want to... uh, do something with an experienced partner, right? Yeah, it's definitely highly encouraged. That's what we, that's what our suggestion is to anyone that wants to jump right into it. Um, there are people that have real estate experience still that I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend them getting into non-performing. They have to have a lot of real estate experience, more than likely a fix and flip type of experience and have done a lot of deals and been in the game for a while really to, to make sure that they know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. So like I said, there's a small subset of those people that I would recommend. Okay. Yeah. You can probably handle a non-performer, but more than likely it's like, no, it's best for you to step into a performing. Once you know a performing loan and you get all the way through a deal and you have it for six or seven months then you, you get the idea of how it works, what the process is what to expect, how these vendors work with you and what you have to do, what they expect from you. And then non-performing is just adding a little layer to it of due diligence that you wouldn't have done with performing. Right. Cool. Well, that sounds like it's a lot of information. (laughs) Yeah, it is a lot of information packed into about 25 minutes here. Mm -hmm. And we are at the end of our rope here, Richard. So um, this episode number 22 is brought to you by Bright Path Notes. And I am Justin Bogard, your host, and my partner here, Richard Thornton, is on the call today. So I appreciate that. And Richard, we will see you next time. Very good. Take care. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Be The Bank. We hope you learned something from today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us. Plus, check out our Bright Path Notes channel on YouTube and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Be The Bank and on Instagram at Be The Bank Podcast. Be The Bank is sponsored by Bright Path Notes. Thanks again for listening.